Truth Espresso, episode 153. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, this is Daniel Minnick, the host of the Truth Espresso podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And we are going to talk about New Year's resolutions. And as of this recording, it is not long before midnight uh, New Year's Day. And this, so this is the end of 2021 for us. But as you're listening to this, it will be 2022. So we are preparing for the new year and we hope that this episode will help you prepare for the new year and every year after that. And I'd like to welcome my co-host, my sweet and beautiful wife and co-host Chelsea. And so thank you, sweetheart, for doing this with me again. Yes, thank you, babe. (laughs) So ready to talk about some New Year's resolutions and really how we should think about New Year's resolutions from a Christian and biblical perspective. Yeah, this sounds like a good topic. Okay, and so when it comes to New Year's resolutions, we want to start by looking at some of the history. Like, why do people celebrate New Year's resolutions? And so we're going to get to the history of it. And then we want to look at some statistics about New Year's resolutions. You know, the old ideas of how many people, you know, will actually make it versus keep it and so on. So we'll see. Uh, just how accurate our thinking is on that, according to survey statistics. Finally, with this topic, we want to address it from a biblical perspective, just how Christians should uh, think about New Year's resolutions specifically, but also how we should resolve (laughs) things according to the Bible and what we should focus on as Christians. And so, getting into history... I got this from CNET.com. We'll provide a link to this in the show notes, but sweetheart, are New Year's resolutions kind of a new thing? Is it something that's like 100 years old or maybe even as long as 200 years old? (laughs) The practice of making resolutions at the beginning of the year. Well, since I kind of looked at the history, is it fair for me to answer that? Oh, sure. (laughs) Is it more than 200 years? Yes. I think it's closer to thousands. Thousands. Whoa. So basically our practice of New Year's resolutions in some form or other has come from most of known history. You know, even to ancient cultures, there is some form of New Year's resolutions And from the CNET article that I have, about 5,000 years ago, the ancient Egyptians started with uh, New Year's celebrations. And in most of these cultures, they had the idea of appeasing the gods. And so they also recognized, you know, every cycle, every, you know... (laughs) planting and harvest cycle and then you had like the winter you know where things had to die and then you had uh, new life beginning in the spring these ancient cultures would basically 
try to deal with things with their own lives or with pledges that they would make for a better harvest or <laughs> some kind of self-improvement. But the ancient Egyptians had New Year's celebrations. So, yeah, <laughs> like new life beginning was a cause for celebration for the ancient Egyptians and probably pretty much anywhere else in the world. But according to this article, we trace New Year's resolutions, the history such, to at least 5,000 years ago. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. I don't think I really thought about how far back this could have gone before looking into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was expecting something like a few hundred years, but <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So <laughs> there's a long history to this uh, current practice. But of course, I don't think the ancient Egyptians were making pledges to renew their gym membership or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> And so we move on to the next, unless you have anything that's okay, <laughs> to, uh, between five and 4,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> I only found for the 4,000 years, oh, yeah. which I think you have too. <laughs> yeah. The CNET article mentions about 4,000 years ago, we see that the ancient Babylonians pledged to the gods at the beginning of the year, which for them was kind of the beginning of spring, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that was the case pretty much with every culture before we had a modern calendar that was synchronized with the revolution of the earth around the sun. So New Year's revolutions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the ancient Babylonians pledged to the gods at the beginning of the year, which was the beginning of the spring, to pay their debts. And this was a 12-day long celebration for the Babylonians. Now, that continues on to the present because some of their New Year's resolutions, even today, are like, I'm going to be better with my finances. I want to get out of debt. I, I resolve to pay off this credit card. So, yeah, you could trace that back to the ancient Babylonians uh, in or at least around 2000 BC. <laughs> but you're probably not pledging it to some Babylonian god. But <laughs> you have anything else about the Babylonians, babe? <laughs> yeah, I saw it too that they would pledge to pay off debts and then also to return any borrowed items. Oh, yeah. And that they thought in doing those two things that they would gain favor from the gods, that they would be blessed. And if they didn't follow through with their promises to pay off the debt and return items, that they would actually be cursed that next year. <laughs> so it was interesting that they saw like both, okay, the benefit of doing that, they could see more prosperous times that next year. And if they failed, that they could potentially be cursed. Because I think a lot of times now we are only looking at okay what's the benefit of it oh, we don't yeah. think of okay if we fail what's <laughs> yeah. the downside yeah today with our new re year's resolutions it's just kind of like self-motivation and it might fall by the wayside but the babylonians took their new year's resolutions a little more seriously you know because mm -hmm. they felt like the gods might punish them if they don't keep them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and so we move on to about 3,000 years ago, so we're counting by thousands basically here. <laughs> about 3,000 years ago, we can move on to the east to China. And so in ancient China, I think it was the Shang Dynasty, if I remember from the CNET article, 
This is really where the Chinese New Year came from, and even back 3,000 years ago, they had costumes and decorations and basically a form of like the floats that we'd have in parades. And so I think they've probably been having those kinds of dragon type uh, costumes or floats for, you know, several thousand years here. <laughs> yeah. And then they also, they also were trying to ward off, like try to appease and ward off the curses of a God that actually meant year. <laughs> And so, yeah, they're trying to appease the year god <laughs> with their pledges. Do you have anything else for China, babe? Or... I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's China and the Chinese New Year, which is still celebrated today. And the Chinese New Year is not January 1st. It's later. <laughs> I forget what it is. I don't have it in my notes. But <laughs> we have friends that know what the Chinese New Year is. <laughs> And do you have anything between 3,000 and 2,000 years ago, babe? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you have anything for 2,000 years ago? Of the Romans? Oh, yeah. Do you have any? want to <laughs> talk about Romans and then I'll okay. follow up with anything I have here? <laughs> sure. So the Romans were kind of interesting, too, in kind of how we got the name for January because mm. they... Um, would offer sacrifices to a god named Janus, which was a two-faced god. One face they thought looked back into the past, and the other face would be looking forward into the future. And um, that's where we get our word January from. And they would make promises to this god to be good in the coming year. And if they, again, kept their promises, then they would be blessed or have more prosperity and if they didn't keep their promises then they would be condemned by the god <laughs> yeah and at this time i think it was 46 bc that julius caesar mm -hmm. um changed the calendar like because the calendar was based on like a kind of a spring to spring type thing and the calendars weren't as very accurate, but Julius Caesar is trying to make a more accurate calendar that more accurately reflected the full length of the, of the seasons, you know, closer to the sun, how long it takes the, the earth to go around the sun. So we have the, the Julian calendar, Julius Caesar. And yeah, you mentioned, so we are the people made offerings to the god Janus, who was the god of doorways, arches, and new beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were hoping for blessings from the god Janus, who, uh, who looks back and, uh, and looks forward. And yeah, so he's the god of what you could see behind you, what you see ahead going through a doorway or something like that. <laughs> Now I move forward. Do you have anything for 1,000 years ago? <laughs> well, I have uh, something for about 500 years ago. In the 1570s, uh, Pope Gregory the Thirteenth. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of Pope Gregories. I mean, I know of Pope Gregory the Great, you know, the first one who was... Trying to think, you he was not long after the Council of Chalcedon. Maybe I'm trying to remember from my early church history, but well, there's a lot of Pope, Pope Gregories. <laughs> so Pope Gregory the Thirteenth switched the calendar from the Julian calendar set up by Julius Caesar to the Gregorian calendar, and this was to adjust some slight inaccuracies that ended up with like 
I think there is like an 11 minute issue with the years, but Julius Caesar um, in Rome made the biggest change. He ended up with a long year, like I think it was 500 some days, but he was trying to adjust the calendar and he got it a lot more accurate than it was before because they're dealing with over time. <laughs> you know, you pretty much end up with the summer, you know, at the beginning of the year, something like that, you know, and so he's trying to make something that was more accurate for the length of the year, but it still wasn't quite accurate as a ca- of a calendar as we have with the Gregorian calendar today, adjusting leap years and stuff. So Julius Caesar made it more accurate, and then Gregory made it even, you know, slightly more accurate, and I think that might have, I'm trying to remember that, did uh, um, have to adjust that year some to make that happen, but not making a 500-some-day year like Julius Caesar did, but... Yeah, that's that's an incident in church history related to changing the new year, which would modify when people would make New Year's resolutions. And, mm. and yeah, so sweetheart, do you have more after this about New Year's resolutions in more recent history? <laughs> yes, so I had one more timeline here to add to our discussion in 1740 John Wesley established what was called the Covenant Renewal Service or also known as the Watch Night Services and this was a time that Christians would get together and sing hymns and read scriptures and this was to kind of contrast what a lot of the more secular people were doing with late night celebrations and rivalries and drunkenness. So the Christians wanted to try and come together and just kind of be watchful during the night. And we see that this tradition is carried on through modern times and especially in some of the African-American communities where they still sing hymns and read scriptures and commit to New Year resolutions on New Year's Eve, which I think is really cool. I kind of wish we saw more of that. but. Mm. Kind of like a Christian version of it type of thing. Yeah, just like a church <laughs> uh, service yeah. on New Year's Eve, like going later mm-hmm. into the evening, just like, okay, we're going to bring in the new year singing praises and reading scriptures. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a way to make the new year more of a you know Christian-focused thing rather than today where you have a lot of people getting drunk watching a ball drop and (laughs) getting ready to start the new year with a hangover you know mixed in with their resolutions like okay after you get over your hangover and slump back to work okay now i'm gonna start some resolutions (laughs) yeah and so that's the history of new year's resolutions that we kind of know you know there's some modern christian involvement with it historically you know a longer time ago it was more of a pagan religious type thing which would reflect a lot of the cultures there was a lot of importance with you know agricultural ancient cultures because their livelihoods depended on the harvest cycle and so there's a lot of superstition around that too and yeah but People would resolve each year to try to make that year good for their own sakes. But now in Western culture, we currently we have New Year's resolutions that are more like 
secular with a focus on individual self-improvement and it seems like there's little thought of outside accountability so where in ancient cultures there was the fear that the gods might punish them if they didn't keep it now it's more like frivolous hopeful you know types of resolves that we'll see when we look at some of the statistics just how successful people might be so what are some of the top resolutions that you found when you were researching the South Sea? <laughs> well, let's see. So I looked at an article on discoverhappyhabits.com. <laughs> and that link will be in the show notes too. And uh, some of the most common resolutions that people make, which I'm sure you might be able to guess, at least half of the resolutions made are health related, which, you know, it's like diet and exercise, you know, I'm sure, you know, some of you all listening to this, you know, if you're making New Year's resolutions, that might be one of them or among them. <laughs> and yeah, that's the most common, especially for Western cultures. And half of them are finance related. <laughs> And if you're thinking, well, then that makes 100%. Well, it's not as if everyone gets one resolution. <laughs> Half of all resolutions made, but people make can make multiple resolutions. So that doesn't <laughs> make up all of them. <laughs> but yeah, about half of them made are health-related diet exercise. You might see gym memberships. People get new gym memberships starting in January, and the gyms are all prepared for that. So they know to expect an influx of new memberships filling up the gyms. I mean, I know with COVID and stuff, things are a little bit different than they used to be. But <laughs> yeah, the gyms would fill up. Uh, they'd be prepared for that load every year. And then after the first week, I think uh, I don't have that written down in my notes, but after the first week, maybe 75% of the influx is there. And then, you know, by the second week, it's down to like less than 70%. And then after the first month, it's like 60%, if I remember correctly, you know. So by mid February, things have tapered down to close to normal levels. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah there you go half health related half finance related and one thing to note that i have here from the article is that quitting smoking used to be the most popular resolution that would people would make years ago but now it's about 16 percent <laughs> of resolutions so it's not as popular as it used to be, you know, probably because the culture's changed where the biggest concern that people have is their own personal health related to physical activity and food. But smoking used to be the big vice and, you know, so maybe more people, it used to be a, a more common thing for people to smoke decades ago. But now, I mean, I, a lot of people today still smoke, but you know, those who smoke that are addicted to it probably like, uh, I'm not going to make a resolution for that. Cause I know for certain I'm not going to keep it. <laughs> Do you have other ones be for common resolutions? Um, I mean, a couple that I thought were interesting because I was looking at a site from Chris Six News, and this was actually released on December 30th of 2021. Hmm. And 
Um, like as in yesterday, as of this recording. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so the eighth one on this list was spend time with family and friends. Mm-hmm. And then number 10 was read more, which I was like, okay, those are kind of cool ones because yeah. they're a little more outward focused. Like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm going to focus on family and friends or learning more and increasing knowledge. So mm-hmm. I thought those were kind of cool ones that I wouldn't have guessed on a top 10 list. <laughs> yeah. Cause there are some things that you think people should make more rather than just your own personal health and stuff, which, you know, are good things to do, but things like give more to charity or help people out or, you know, things that are focused on others and stuff like that, like improving your morality towards other people. But <laughs> Yeah, in the secular society, there's a lot of focus on self. But <laughs> I saw some from my article here, the like a comment more common in Gen Z rather compared to other generations is well, probably naturally because they're that around that age is you know <laughs> finding love, <laughs> which I think is interesting because that depends on the willingness of someone else <laughs> you know <laughs> to help you resolve it, and so that would kind of make me nervous, especially since people are more actively fulfilling their resolutions, you know, in January or February that finding love as a as a resolution it would seem more like you're letting your guard down to solve this it might be a more flippant attitude toward things rather than trusting god making sure that you're focused right and that someone who you find for love is someone who's committed to your good and so on like that that would be more like a careless pursuit of fleeting love So statistically, I found that as many as 45% of people say that they, like Americans, say that they'll make a resolution, Hmm. but only 8% actually successfully achieve them. (laughs) Yeah, so here we're now we're getting into statistics about how well do people keep the resolutions that they make, you know, because I mentioned before by like around mid-February, those are related to gym memberships, you know, they kind of fizzle down, you know, in two months. And yeah, so the Discover Happy Habits article that I have, it says that around 30% of people surveyed plan to make resolution so it's not like 90 percent it's you know not everyone's willing to make a resolution apparently it's about a third close to a third of people actually want to make a resolution and of those about half keep some of their resolutions and they might be the low-hanging fruit like I resolved to reading a bit once a month or you know, something like that. You know, maybe the easiest ones are the ones that people keep. But according to what I have here, it's about 35% keep all their resolutions. But, you know, somehow I'm like, okay, this is people surveyed. And if people are making resolutions that they're not going to keep, how many people are actually honest about whether they kept them also? <laughs> Plus, it'd be interesting to know if, like, when they did the study for if they kept the resolution or not. Because if they do the study three weeks out from when they made the resolution versus three months out from when they made it, those numbers could drastically be different. 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. And like what size of population they actually tested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, was it just like their small little... <laughs> 100 person gym that they asked that and they were able to keep it or was it like a survey that went out to millions of people in different states it's hard to tell how accurate (laughs) these numbers are but i think in general it seems like in what we hear is that it is difficult for people to actually keep their resolutions or follow through with the resolutions (laughs) yeah because i would think that eight percent figure is probably more accurate so probably eight to ten percent of people you know actually follow through with all their resolutions there I did see on finder.com an article there that said, as I would expect with the way COVID has changed things and 2020 made people living at home and kind of changed their lives a bit unexpectedly. And then with uh, 2021 that, okay, now there's about 15% more people this year from last year that are making resolutions. So after crawling through out of the you know apocalypse year of covid you know that did we crawl through it yet (laughs) oh yeah yeah i know (laughs) well as people are kind of starting to get to some finding their own form of normalcy amidst everyone being subject to unknowns and stuff from the top down Uh, It seems like some people now like, okay, this is how I was affected by COVID, how it affected my life. Now, you know, there's more people are like, I'm going to resolve to doing this in 2022. And so, yeah, there's the resolutions are seeing a a 15% increase uh, for the next year here. Mm -hmm. But one thing is we mentioned about how New Year's resolutions are more secular and stuff. And we see from these statistics about the failure rate to keep them, it also seems to correlate with the fact that these resolutions don't seem to be like, they don't have teeth to them. They're not covenants or vows or promises. You know, no one's putting their hand on a a Bible like in court and swearing to get uh, before God to keep their New Year's resolutions. They're more like just a motivational thing at the beginning like i yeah i'm planning to try to make this year a little bit better and things fizzle out because they don't etch it in stone they don't like okay set a reminder on their phone that will remind them every week or every day or whatever it's just yeah i remember now at the beginning of the year and then as they get into the swing of things or life becomes hectic after the holidays and stuff it's just like oh i forgot you know yeah so it's not really a strong thing these new year's resolutions and once people don't keep them it's like well i didn't really promise anything it was just a hope you know ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. 
What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. But now let's think about as Christians, since this is a Christian podcast with hopefully a mostly Christian audience, <laughs> how should we as Christians think about New Year's resolutions? Are, there, are they something that Christians should participate in? And if we do, how do we Christianize them? <laughs> and looking from the Word of God, what are some verses and, and so on? Like, what are some principles that Christians can actually use and get a biblical perspective about New Year's resolutions or even resolutions in general? How do we as Christians resolve to live the Christian life in light of the idea that we should resolve? <laughs> so, from the Christian perspective, and looking at the idea that people make pledges or even just resolutions and don't keep them, how should we think as Christians about saying something and following through with it? So from what I could see, from what I can glean from the Bible, and it should be intuitive to the Christian mind, we should keep our word. And so if we're going to keep our word, we should only give our word if we do plan to keep it. And so the principle from the Bible that we see is let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And one example, the Apostle Paul was very careful to keep his word in such that he wouldn't give his word unless he is going to keep it. Because even something as simple as saying, I want to visit you. <laughs> we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, look at part of verse 17, go to verse 18, it says, or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. Wait, why did he say that it wasn't yea and nay? But in context, Paul was talking about traveling to visit the Corinthians, and he knew that it wasn't going to be a certain thing. Now, he could have said, you know, I really hope it really would be nice for me to visit, but he didn't want them to get their hopes up to expect him to come if Paul wasn't certain that he could keep his word. So rather than saying, yeah, I'm going to go visit you guys and then have to apologize later to say, yeah, it could have been weather. We could have had a shipwreck, you know, something even perfectly legitimate that he could have said, I really planned to do this, but I was held back. But rather than do that and tell them in a few months, I'm going to come by and visit. 
Paul wasn't sure he would be able to visit the Corinthians, so he rather didn't tell them yay. He didn't want to, as he said, purpose according to the flesh. And I think that a lot of New Year's resolutions are purposing according to the flesh, like just flippantly, you know, my flesh, I want to do this, so I'm going to say that I'm going to do it, but not really commit to doing it. And the biblical principle is, let your yay be yay and nay, nay. So, if you can't really do that, then don't say anything, is what the principle that the Apostle Paul gives. Yeah, and I was looking at some examples in the Old Testament, too. There are quite a few verses in Ecclesiastes, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where Mm -hmm. God's telling the people, don't make these promises that you can't keep. Mm -hmm. Like, don't say things and then you can't follow through. So it's better not to say Mm -hmm. you're going to do something because then if you can't follow through in those verses, it's actually considered sin. But I think Mm -hmm. it was more like because they were making promises to God and promises to do something and weren't following through. But I'm kind of reminded too of it's also not good kind of what you're talking about with Paul and the Corinthians Mm. not being vague about what you're going to do either. And especially I think when it comes to communication with your spouse, when you're having uh, conversations with your kids or with other people, not being vague to where you're like, okay, maybe we can do this or we'll see if we can do that. Because again, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm going to hold on to this hope that maybe means yes. And then if it doesn't work out, then you've let that person down. So it's, Mm -hmm. and also that maybe, or I'm not sure, it's really not fair to the person because then they're kind of guessing like, okay, does that mean yes? Or does that mean no? And they're not really given that solid answer or direction. So I think that I know that's one thing that I struggle with a lot, especially with the kids. And I just constantly try and remember like, okay, try to be direct and tell them yes or no. And that gives them a little more security because they know for sure what's happening. Yeah, good thoughts there, sweetheart, about, yeah, like it's Christians, like it is easy to say things that you want to do, but then we got to keep in mind, like we want to make sure that people that hear us, our words of what we say we're going to do, we're going to carry them out and not like just lead them along and and stuff, especially when Jesus would... uh, like the woes on the Pharisees, <laughs> Matthew 23 or Luke 11, I believe, where <laughs> it's kind of humorous when you read it, but like the whole idea where it's like Jesus is giving the examples of the kinds of oaths people would make that the Pharisees would try to argue and how does one violate the law or not violate the law with their oaths? And you'd have things like, okay, if you swear by the tent, Oh, I swore by the temple, so you can't hold me accountable for it. But hey, if you swear by the gold in the temple, that binds you, you know, and Jesus is trying to make the point. You know, he talks about like, don't swear by the temple. Don't swear by your your head, I think it was. Um, don't swear by heaven because it's God's throne or by earth 
because it's his footstool. You know, I, I forget exactly the details there, but the point is like, it doesn't matter what you're swearing by. It's the fact that you're swearing, you know, because you don't get people to take your word and then you violate their trust by saying, well, I didn't swear by this. So I was able to give my word, but not be held accountable for it. And I think the modern example would be like crossing your fingers and putting it behind your back, you know, as if somehow how just doing that gesture releases you from your word, you know, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. And the point is, well, then you shouldn't have to be like terrified. Like I have to make all these promises and oaths. And then now I've bound myself like, but the Jesus says, I tell you, swear not at all. You know, like if you can't keep a promise, don't make it in the first place. And there's some freedom to that. Now we should, strive to be better people but we don't give our word to people unless we're prepared to do that and the examples in the bible about keeping the law where it's like bind it around your neck you know like because it's important that you keep this you know make sure you never forget it it needs to be every day bound on your head so that there's always a reminder you know that it's there if you look down you see it oh it's there i'm reminded to do this and you know so yeah <laughs> if you're going to make a promise keep it if you can't keep it don't make a promise <laughs> don't you think too that i know you're mentioning earlier not just kind of quickly and not thinking through your resolutions just throwing stuff out there but mm-hmm. instead stepping back and looking at okay what is my motivation behind some of mm-hmm. these resolutions I want to make is that self-serving yeah. is it God honoring also looking at like okay with this resolution am I going to allow God to help me with this because that's where mm-hmm. I can potentially fulfill it Am I going to include other people to help me be accountable for it? Mm -hmm. And I think just taking it a little more seriously and not that, oh, you have to have this whole like detailed plan and (laughs) this is a serious matter, but more of, okay, when you do take it more seriously, you're more likely to accomplish that. And I think that that helps people when they can see that they were able to accomplish these goals as well. And if you just have these huge like, oh, I want to lose 50 pounds this next year. (laughs) You have no plan, you have no support people to encourage you on your journey, then most likely that's not going to happen. And then you get frustrated like, oh man, I wanted to do this. I couldn't. So I think a little more preparation and prayer and just involving people around you. Mm, Yeah. And just considering, okay, is this something that I can do having small goals? Like, okay, maybe not 50 pounds, but all right. In the next few months, I want to try and get down 10 pounds and see, okay, achieved that. In the next few months, let me try another 10 and Mm. making it achievable to where you can be successful in it. And it just reminds me of in Romans 7, 18, where Paul is talking about like how he desires to do good, Mm. but he keeps 
failing. And so yeah. it's like, okay, <laughs> a lot of times we desire to do good. We desire to do what's right. We want to improve our health and work on our Bible reading habits. And our desire a lot of times is to do good, mm-hmm. but then yeah. we don't have that plan or that system set in place to where we can't actually follow through. Definitely. So you already mentioned like accountability and yeah. So I know with the pastor at my church, the uh, we have a men's Bible study. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I remember one of the chapters we we're looking through in the book that's about men keeping their hearts uh, pure. Um, it had to do with accountability partners and stuff. So that's one of the things that are like key to that where someone, a close friend, you know, can like text you or call you up and ask, how are you doing? And then you got to be honest with it and stuff. So it's like that helps, you know, if someone's like reminding you and you're reminding them and that kind of accountability, if you're going to succeed with a new year's resolution, you know, it, it helps if someone else, if two are better than one is the Bible says. And if, if you have a, an accountability partner that can help with that too. But yeah, it's definitely important that you let your word be your bond. If you make a word and James five twelve actually says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation or judgment there. And so James has just talked to the uh, believers there and given them admonitions about different things, but he says, above all things <laughs> don't swear it it sounds like james as well as jesus to his disciples and condemning the pharisees and the apostle paul they all seem to think that giving your word is a very important thing and so above all things you know because it's a matter of truth and as jesus says he's the way the truth and the life you know truth is very important to the christian and so unlike the world where your word is flippant with christians we should be careful to you know we give our word it's it's truth and if we can't maintain truth we should avoid giving our word ecclesiastes 5 2 says be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before god for god is in heaven and thou upon earth therefore let thy words be few (laughs) so when i was looking at the article about new year's resolution statistics one of the excuses was too many resolutions or even like that the goals were overly ambitious which you know when you say oh i'm as you mentioned so we are i'm planning to lose 50 pounds you know or this year you know that can impress your friends you know whoa that's quite the feat but if you're going to be rash with it it's not very impressive and They wouldn't be really strong friends there if they're willing to keep sticking by your side with flippant promises that are overly ambitious or making too many promises that you can't keep. And the preacher, the wisest man who ever lived, even as he wrote Ecclesiastes from a solemn perspective of seeing all the vanity in the world, He says, therefore, after be not rash with your mouth, he says, therefore, let your words be few. (laughs) And so, yeah, keep that in mind for New Year's resolutions. Let your words be few. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Well, that will bring us to the end of this episode, and we're going to do a two-parter here for New Year's resolutions. And the the next part, the next episode, as you're possibly making your resolutions, maybe in the process of keeping some, you know, hitting the gym or whatever, starting your diet plan, we're going to look at a Christian perspective on should our resolutions just be thinking about this next year, or how should we view resolutions in regard to time? Should we just be thinking about yearly cycles, or should we be thinking about things that are permanent, things that are eternal? And some examples from the Bible about how we should resolve to change that as we're changed as Christians from the inside out by the gospel and our lives should be a pattern after Christ, how our resolution should be about permanent change. We'll look at verses that will guide us there. So stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso as we conclude our two-part series about New Year's resolutions. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 